So tonight I'd like to begin with one of the sayings uh, or kind of dialogues with the Christian Desert Fathers. And the question that was asked is this, is there anything I can do to make myself enlightened? And the response from one of the wise Desert Fathers was, as little as you can do to make the sunrise in the morning. Then, what of, then of what use are the spiritual exercises you prescribe? Response, to make sure you're not asleep when the sun begins to rise. So um, one of the questions that comes up regularly is, you know, to what end are we doing these practices? And um, what's the purpose? And it's, it's not like we can practice ourselves into enlightenment. But there is something that is intrinsically wise about training our attention. And um, some of you were with us last Saturday when we explored how science is really validating what the mystics have known for, for a long time. And if there was, there were, we kind of described as takeaways, one of the big takeaways from Saturday is that it's more and more clear that by deliberately training your attention, how you pay attention, you literally change the structure, the physiology, the neurology of your brain, and that changes your moods and changes your life. There's a dramatic potential for freedom when we learn to train our attention. So the Buddha taught that we already our depths, our essence already has a natural wisdom and love to it. And in a way when we meditate we're not cultivating that wisdom or love as much as we're undoing the different ways that we kind of get in our way. We're undoing the conditioning that keeps us uh, from presence really. Rumi puts it this way, he basically says, do you make regular visits to yourself? Do you make regular visits to yourself? So I'd like to do um, this week and next week is explore really the, the basic elements of our practice, our path, how we're training our attention. And I try to do this at least once or twice a year because everything else is the stuff that circles around that. That, you know, if we don't in some way dedicate ourselves to paying attention in a systematic way, Um, we're missing out on a really precious opportunity. Now, I'm going to emphasize formal practice in these two talks, you know, the formal training. But just to say, the formal practice is of absolute insignificance if our intention isn't through the moments of our day to pay attention. So it's like we're training so that we're really awake at work, in our relationships, You know, as we walk to get the mail, as we shop, it's in all moments. And as we know, we spend a lot of those moments in this kind of a trance that we're on our way to something else, that what we're doing now is for the sake of something down the road. So it can be somewhat rare that we actually experience, oh, this is it, this moment right now is my life like we're listening to this talk so that we can catch on to something, so that we can. It's 
one thing leading to the next. And one of the cartoons that I often share um, that to me is a great one that captures it is of this family in a desert and they're the parents are on one camel, the kids are on one camel, and then all their belongings on the third. And it's, um, I think you see a kind of a caption of the kid has just said something to the dad, and the dad's responding, will you stop asking if we're getting almost there for crying out loud? We're nomads, you know? (laughs) And I think it's so perfect, because, you know, we are. So just to to share with you that... um, August 2001, I was at a conference in the Twin Towers, you know, just a couple of weeks before, it was maybe three weeks before 9-11, and we had a conference there. It was uh, organized by Tricycle, a Buddhist magazine, and I was invited to, I and about four others were invited to launch the conference by addressing the question of, you know, what is the very core of Buddhist practice? And... Um, I was the real junior in the lineup. I think they needed a woman, but that's all I can figure. But like the the person, right? I was the third in line, and we were each given. I think we had eight minutes to to give the synopsis. And um, the person before me was Richard Baker, who is the senior student of Suzuki Roshi and very very well known, and so on. And I was really nervous, you know, about about doing this. And so I, I really I spent a lot of time reflecting on what the core was and so on of Buddhist practice and the path. And I figured I had I had a few people ahead of me to kind of center and gather myself and get it together. And so Richard goes up there and he and he says, the the heart of Buddhist practice is intention and attention. He bowed, he left. And I'm sitting there going, oh my God. <laughs> so I have to say, I have no idea what I said. I mean, I was just really kind of standing there. But what he said was terrific. You know what I mean? Like intention and attention. So we're going to divide it up into those two parts and start with that everything we do in terms of practice arises from a certain quality of intention. Whenever you sit down to practice, there's an attitude there. And depending on the attitude, that will determine what happens, the quality of uh, presence and freedom that's possible. I like the word sincerity as perhaps the most uh, valuable kind of pointer to what's possible. If when you sit to practice there's a sincerity and it's a heart quality. It's a caring about presence. It's a caring about waking up. It's a caring about opening the heart. If, if there's caring, it doesn't matter how your form is. Way more than technique, it's about that, that sincerity. And in a way, there's not a whole lot more to say tonight because it really comes down to that, but I'll keep talking since it's not too late yet. <laughs> um, the truth is that our habitual attitude when we sit down to meditate is often not that. In fact, we bring to meditation the same kind of cluster of attitudes that we bring to anything we think we should do and that's difficult. And so let me start by saying, meditation is difficult, it's hard. And the reason it's hard 
You know, people say, okay, just be here. You know, just really be here and relax with what's happening. Well, we're very unrelaxed. We have a nervous system. We're nervy. We're edgy. And we're rarely here. We're usually off somewhere. Isn't that the truth? So we're being asked to do something that's very, very different than our habitual conditioning. And from an evolutionary perspective, for survival required that rather than being here now, we think ahead and plan and anticipate and worry and, and be tense. And it's way back when, it was the, if, if a creature was really into like savoring the moment, it would kind of crunch, it would be gone, it would be eaten, it would be killed. And it was the real nervous ones, the vigilant ones that passed down their genes to us, right? So here we are, being given instructions that go against our survival instincts. And I want, to st- I want to start out by just bringing that into the room because we get so down on ourselves for how our mind is going. I mean, we think it's like it's our fault and we're some bad, unspiritual person. And it's just evolution, it's conditioning. But then the question would come, well, if, we're, if survival depends on us not being meditative, you know, what, isn't, it, isn't it a bad idea <laughs> you know, to get real present? Maybe the world's dangerous and we'll get you know, crunched in some way. And then what comes is, and things keep evolving. The fight-flight nervous system that served us, and still in some ways is absolutely essential, there's still some, there's somewhere further to go. It's possible to rest in an awareness that can know when we need to defend and protect, but also know that what we are is greater than a fighting or flighting self. We can, that this is evolution continuing. Con- mindfulness and meditation is the next step in evolution, in other words. But it's hard because as within, with all evolutionary progress, there is a breaking out of an old, it's adapting to something new, it's breaking out of an old habit. So we bring our attitude into sitting and usually the attitude when it's hard is either I've got to try really hard and we strive or it's I'm really not made, cut out for this, in which case it's a sideline. We come on Wednesday but we don't really try because sitting on our own is really hard. It never seems to make a difference because our mind's just going like this so we might as well just go for a run or do something else, which is whatever. We have an idea that if things don't come easily, something's wrong. You know, I started meditating at, the, um, at IMS, the Insight Meditation Society up in... Uh, Barry some whatever years ago and um, when they first opened they got a letter addressed to them and it was addressed to the Instant Meditation Society (laughs) that was good and just to say and I've shared this before in here that my first decade of meditating I started when I was uh, 22 was was very much with the attitude of um, I want to be enlightened and I'm striving and I'm fighting against really difficult odds because I'm you know, pretty imperfect and so I'm going to try real hard. And I would go to different teachers and ask them, I had an idea if I really, really tried, maybe in seven or eight years I'd be there. There was a there to get to, you know. 
I went to different teachers and I'd ask them, well, what else can I do, you know? And to a T, each one of them would look at me and say, hmm, just relax, you know? And I'd go, oh, okay, that's what I'll do. And that became my next project, you know? So it becomes really valuable to get beyond to ourselves in terms of what our attitude is. Is it that we've given up already, that this is, you know, there's some cool things about it, but it's, we can't get very far because our mind's too unruly? Or is there a kind of a striving and yet a lot of judgment? Is there a sense of feeling special? Oh, I'm a meditator, I'm on to something. You know, what, what's the attitude? And um, well, why don't just take a moment, let's reflect, for, and I'll just ask you a few questions as you check in for yourself. So this is a chance to pause and, and just get a little more intimate with your own process. If the invitation, as Rumi puts it, is making a regular visit to ourselves, in other words, learning to be at home, to be present. And so the question for you is, how do you approach the practices of presence? How do you approach a formal practice where you're sitting down and really intentionally training yourself? Is it that you push yourself to it because you should? Is it that you don't really do it at all and, and kind of judge yourself for it? Or is it, is it that you practice but it's never really good enough? Like you don't really think you're doing a good job, like you're sitting but nothing's really happening? What's the attitude that you have around this whole domain of formal practice? Now our relationship with practice deepens as our intention becomes more conscious. So you might sense, well, if this was your last sitting of your life right now, if these were just the last moments, and you were instead of, you know, sometimes our last moments we want to be with others, but you just knew that these last moments you were going to be sitting quietly, paying attention, what would matter? What would your intention be? Would it be to be really open? Would it be to realize love, to have a refuge in love? Would it be truth, to really know and live in truth? Would it be peace or freedom? 
to know that when we feel our intention it really has nothing to do with the past laurels of meditation, what we've been able to achieve and has nothing to do with what we can expect in five weeks our intention is really very immediately right here what matters a quality of sincerity okay, so take a few full breaths so we begin as we explore really the, the components of spiritual life of, and of formal practice being aware of our, of our approach and being very forgiving that our, our habit is going to be if things aren't working for, if practi- we might feel that practice has betrayed us I've had times that life has been so hard for me that um, I would try to practice and I couldn't even begin to sit still or quiet my mind or begin to get my arms around the fear going on and I could sense that the first reflex was oh, all this practice and it doesn't really work that would, you know, it's like what was the, what was the purpose? and then the attitude was a sense of um, either I didn't do it well enough or it isn't doing well enough and just to forgive that because there are times that no matter what we try to do our life isn't going to be feeling the way we want it to and then the practice is just to be aware of that too in fact if there's any words that really sum it up it's this too can we have the vastness of wisdom to say this too So we begin with our attitude and just, if you can just remember, let it be sincere that you sincerely care about presence and that there's that this too quality. Then even if it doesn't feel the way you want it to feel, you can trust that it's, that the evolutionary process of consciousness is happening through you. Does that make sense? Even if it's not the state of mind or body you want, it's waking up through you anyway sincerity now the next are the actual ways that we pay attention and I'd like to break it up into two categories and say that most everything that seems like we're doing guiding our attention it's sometimes called a skillful means and it's a way of arriving it's a way of getting here because the given is we keep leaving so we have these techniques to get, to come back it's like, come on back, come on back so that's one big category of what happens and that creates an environment for what we call natural presence which is not a doing, it's really a resting in awareness so there's a certain amount of doing and the trick is to do with a light touch to not get into being really um, effortful and striving but to just arrive as well as we can but then just to open to what's here so let's talk about the components of arriving hopefully you'll find tonight is mostly about practice like that you actually check it out because if it's a lot of words we're not accomplishing it my intention tonight really is hopefully to invite you to um, give yourself more to these practices because more than any ideas of the Dharma it's the 
training to pay attention that will free you. So the beginning that we explore when we're arriving, and hopefully you've noticed this at the beginning of every meditation, is some invitation to relax, to wake up our senses. And those are two things, but to relax and to let each of the sense doors be awake. And, and just to practice right now, if, you, if you're starting a, a meditation in this moment, okay, here we go again. We're going to keep doing this, by the way. We're going to keep starting. Sense that, again, the whole meditation is really a pause, that you're pausing from your normal habitual activities and your intentions to arrive right here. And see if it's possible to relax just a little bit more right now. Notice if there's some place you weren't noticing in your body that might do a little bit of letting go. You might again soften around the eyes, the hands, and the belly. I like the image of a smile because there's actually more and more research that shows that when you just have a slight smile it directly informs the nervous system that it's okay to relax the fight-flight reactivity. You can feel the inside of the mouth smile too. And once there's a little relaxing then let the senses be awake so that you're very aware of the sounds that are here, listening, and that with the same receptivity as listening you can receive the sensations that are here And if your eyes open gently so that you're not staring but they're soft enough to receive, you can receive the colors and shapes and forms. So the senses are all wide open. Now sense it possible to still be here, senses awake, and and to keep listening to the instructions. So we begin this way. We relax and we open up our sense gates. And the next part of practice is a little bit of intentional quieting the mind. And it's not to get rid of thoughts, but so that we can be aware that we're even in a trance of thinking, so we're not completely lost. Now it's useful to have an anchor or a home base. And there are different options for anchors or home bases. And you can open your eyes as you're listening right now so we're a little more here. Let me ask, how many of you use the breath as a kind of home base? Let me see your hands high. A lot of you, yeah. How many of you have explored using sound as a kind of anchor for attention? I I primarily use sound. 
How many of you use your whole body, the sensations of your whole body sitting there, just the physical... Yeah, that's good. that can be very useful. Okay. How many just maybe your hands, just let your hand... come back to your hands and feel them? couple. Okay. There are different um, attributes to different anchors, and I'll just mention them because some of you might find it useful to experiment. The breath is very good for collecting and refining and focusing the attention. It's a very small area and you can actually direct and narrow the attention in a way that collects you. So it's more precise. The problem with the breath is you can get very tense and start controlling it. Have you noticed that? So rather than receiving the breath, there's a sense of you're kind of tightening around and trying to make it be a certain way. Very different from that is when you listen to sound. Sound, the attribute of sound is it creates a real spaciousness and a receptivity. So if you're feeling tight, you might let your anchor be sound, listening. If you feel spaced out, you might let your anchor be the breath. Does that make sense? It doesn't have to be one or the other. You can be breathing and still aware of sound in the background. That keep breathing. <laughs> At times, because we are so dissociated from our body, just letting your anchor be a kind of scan through the body and then feeling the whole field of sensation can be very, very grounding. So experiment, the purpose of an anchor is that you have a way of collecting your attention right in the present and then when the mind drifts you have an easy way of coming back, you have a place to come back home to. Okay? Which brings us to what I sometimes call remindfulness, which is that I mentioned today probably the central activity in practice is that the mind goes off, right? And then we're gently noticing and coming back. Remindfulness is the mindfulness that remembers, oh, right, this is about being here. And so it notices when we've drifted. When you find that the mind has drifted, there, there is that part of you that goes, oh yeah, eventually, it might not happen right away. I sometimes like to remind us of the Wizard of Oz, you know, when Dorothy and, the, and her comrades um, were seeking out the wizard. And who was it that pulled the curtain and exposed the wizard? Toto. We have an inner Toto that can pull the curtain and expose, oh, there's a trance going on, right? There's a part of us that's kind of like awake to that, but it doesn't happen right away. The trick is recognize thoughts as thoughts. I know that sounds simplistic, but if you can start getting the knack of noticing you've been thinking and having the mindfulness, the fullness of awareness that goes, oh, this is a thought, okay? This is a thought that's happening. To the degree you notice it's a thought, your beingness will have relaxed back into awareness. That is the power of mindfulness. Now, we're addicted to our thoughts, so it takes some real intentionality. And some of you might remember um, this wonderful little essay from Ajahn Sumedho, and he's an American monk who's the head abbot in, of one of the monasteries in England, who describes how, his, how he was committed to working with thoughts and coming back into presence, and this is how he put it. 
He says, the practice of letting go is very effective for minds obsessed by compulsive thinking. You simplify your meditation practice down to just two words, letting go, rather than try to develop this practice and then develop that and achieve this and go into that and understand this and read the suttas and study the Abhidhamma and then learn Pali and Sanskrit and then the Madhyamakaya and the Prajnaparamita and get ordinations in Hinayana, Mahayana and Vajrayana, write books and become a renowned authority on Buddhism instead of becoming the world's expert on Buddhism and being invited to great international Buddhist conferences, just let go, let go, let go. I did nothing but this for about two years. Every time I tried to understand or figure things out, I'd say, let go, let go, until the desire would fade out. So I'm making it very simple for you to save you from getting caught in incredible amounts of suffering. There's nothing more sorrowful than having to attend international Buddhist conferences. (laughs) Now, let me just say that the word let go can be confusing. In fact, I just got an email from somebody, uh, actually from Great Britain, asking me about letting go. And it's not actually that we let go. It's more that we fully become aware of what's there. We relax the grip. See, our current state, when we're caught in our conditioning, is as a clenched fist. We're either pushing something away or grabbing on. So the letting go isn't like we're getting rid of something, it's more that we're unclenching the fist that's so busily pursuing the thoughts that's holding on. So letting go is a kind of relaxing. I remember um, one of my first retreats Joseph Goldstein said that his mantra to himself was, do I want to think or be free? So it's not about eliminating thoughts, but it's about developing this capacity to wake up out of the trance. And there's probably no single gift we could give ourselves that would be more liberating than having that... um, interest in presence that has us start noticing oh, okay, I've been off I I ask myself every day many, many times is this a trance? just that question or is this a dream right now? am I dreaming? and most of the time I clearly am I mean, there's clearly this this kind of story going on that's a veil that I'm, I'm kind of in the movie watching rather than that vividness of hereness. But asking the question is really powerful because what happens is just by saying, is this a trance, we wake up out of the trance, back into hereness. So there's this training and the challenge is that we believe our thoughts. All of our suffering comes from believing our thoughts. We have thoughts about the future that are unpleasant thoughts and we believe them and that causes suffering fear we have thoughts about the past that we're hitched to and that brings depression it's always going to be this way so one of the biggest breakthroughs and I've mentioned this a lot and I see it a lot when um, people have been at a retreat because there's so many moments of waking up out of the thought that are at retreats is the, that realization of, I don't have to believe my thoughts. I don't have to believe my thoughts. 
And with that there's this capacity to really come right here, really come here. About four years ago I gave a seminar at the Smithsonian and one of the men there described how when he was a young man um, he had gone, he had lived on a farm, he grew up on a farm and then he went to West Point. And he flunked his first courses there, he was so floored by this stress. Then he trained himself to lie down and completely relax his body and, as he described it, to put aside thoughts, to recognize them and just open out of them. He's just started learning how to, there's a way we describe it often, is just censure the sky and the thoughts are clouds and just let them come and go, but notice them. So he, he practiced like that. And then he became an Air Force reconnaissance pilot and he described how the practice was golden for him. He said that at a moment's notice he could, when, especially when there was intense stress, he could in a moment absolutely clear and relax and then respond from a truly intelligent place. Now we're addicted to thought because we think if we keep on thinking, well at least we're doing something. It gives us a feeling like we're doing something. And we think that that way we can deal with future problems. But the deepest wisdom, the deepest compassion is available when we actually step out of the thoughts and arrive right here in presence and in our heart. So the key of the training here is that we come into presence, we notice that we've left, we are aware, oh, this is a thought, and we gently come back. I remembered that Julia Childs has, these are her kind of her instructions for meditation, the way she puts it, if you drop the lamb, pick it up, who will know? <laughs> so the given is, we're going to go and get scattered, we're going to get lost in thoughts, it's okay, it doesn't matter how long you've been gone, it doesn't matter if for the last three weeks you've been living in a certain kind of obsession that brings up a tremendous amount of suffering. You can still, right here, right now, say, okay, that's done. I really want to choose, from the sincerity of my heart, I want to choose presence. I want to choose love. The training according to St. Francis de Sales, is this. He says, what we need is a cup of understanding, a barrel of love, and an ocean of patience. He says, bring yourself back to the point, meaning presence, quite gently. And even if you do nothing during the whole of your practice, but bring your heart back a thousand times, though it went away, every time you brought it back, your time would be very well employed. Why? Because we're waking up from the trance that keeps our lives small. Or as another person put it, we're keeping, I think this was Thich Nhat Hanh, we're keeping our appointment with life. So let's, we'll practice a little working with that. Just a short practice with what we call remindfulness, waking up out of the trance. As you come into stillness, and as we've been doing, 
begin with the heart, with your sincerity, even for these, just this very few minutes that you can begin your life fresh in these moments with the intention to notice the trance and the willingness, and there's a courage to it, the willingness to arrive right back here again and take some moments to sense here. It may be that you begin by feeling the inflow and outflow of the breath. It may be that you scan the body briefly and see if there's just a bit of relaxing and softening that's possible. in knowing that you're here, intentionally open the sense doors so that there's a listening. A listening to and feeling the life that's right here. really sensing the quality of here-ness, of being right here. And it might be pleasant and it might be unpleasant. But sense the real quality of vividness, immediacy, this changing flow of sensations, of breath, of sound. Sense how much it's possible to relax with what's going on. And if it helps you to really feel anchored right here, letting the breath be in the foreground, or listening to sounds, or whatever helps you to be at home right now. Letting your intention be to notice when you do that there's been a drifting into thoughts. just to notice a thought as a thought. And in that noticing, pause again and arrive right here. You might sense your awareness like a sky, 
that the thoughts, like weather or like clouds, are going to come and go. Let them. Keep arriving again in that awareness that includes the thoughts and the emotions and the sounds but isn't lost inside the clouds. you might inquire, is this a trance? Have I been lost in the trance of thinking? And just to notice what's true. To relax, open. re-arrive in awareness. The gift of stepping out of thoughts is that we can begin to see reality as it is. We become available to the love, the light, the presence that's our true nature. The teacher Sri Narsargadatta put it this way, he said, when the mind is momentarily free from its preoccupations, it becomes quiet. If you do not disturb this quiet and stay in it, you find that it is permeated with a light and a love you have never known and yet you recognize it at once as your own nature. Once you have passed through this experience, you will never be the same person again. The unruly mind might break its peace and obliterate its vision, but it is bound to return, provided that the effort sincere and sustained, until the day when all bonds are broken, delusions and attachments end, and life becomes supremely absorbed in the present. Okay, so the last piece of the evening I'm going to not do. I'm going to wait until next week, kind of shifting this around a little, because I'd like to invite you to just stay with 
what we've done and especially those of you that are able to come each week and just practice this arriving and stepping out of thoughts, coming into this quietness. What we'll be exploring next week is the um, cultivation of mindfulness, of actually noticing what's going on. And we'll include in that, I think, the question that many of you might have, which is, well, when I'm feeling too emotionally upset, how can I possibly begin to arrive or quiet my mind? That's, to me, the big question, is that we can't always... These very instructions are sometimes out of reach when we're really um, feeling a lot of fear, a lot of anger, a lot of hatred. So we'll explore a little next week how these practices, that how we use mindfulness and how we begin to work with difficulty. And so this is going to be a three-week set of instructions. And then the third week is what I call the gateway of love, how we use... Uh, loving-kindness and the practices of the heart to free us. So I'd like to invite you again just to come into stillness and we'll close together as we've been doing all evening. As if this is the first moment of meditation for you, sense even in this closing, what your intention is for these last couple of minutes. And in an informal meditation, what your intention is as you stand up, leave, talk to people, whatever it is, What's the quality of presence that matters to you? Then setting aside thoughts and ideas Let yourself come home right into this moment. Taking refuge in presence. We'll close with a short poem called White Dove. In the shared quiet, an invitation arises like a dove, like a white dove, lifting from a limb and taking flight. Come and live in truth. Take your place in the flow of grace. Draw aside the veil you thought would always separate your heart from love. All you ever longed for is before you in this moment if you dare draw in a breath and whisper yes. May our practices this evening, practices of presence, serve to awaken these hearts and minds And may this 
awakening ripple out to touch beings everywhere. Namaste. The teaching you have received has been freely offered. If you would like to contact the Insight Meditation Community of Washington to make a donation or to learn more about our programs, please visit our website at www.imcw.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.